So we're going to be in uh, Philippians chapter 2, though, this morning in terms of our study. In the summer of 1986, two ships collided on the Black, on the Black Sea off the coast of Russia. Hundreds of passengers died as they were hurled into the waters below. News of the disaster was further darkened when an investigation revealed the cause of the accident. It wasn't a technology problem like radar malfunction or even thick fog. The cause was human stubbornness. Each captain was aware of the other ship's presence nearby. Both could have steered clear, but according to news reports, Neither captain wanted to give way to the other. Each was too proud to yield first. By the time they came to their senses, it was too late. Can you imagine that? I remember I went online, I was looking at this report uh, earlier. It was just sheer stubbornness, arrogance on the part of two captains. Yet too often, as followers of Messiah Yeshua... We ourselves can be pretty stubborn. We can be pretty, pretty, pretty proud individuals, proud about our, our biblical knowledge, proud about our spiritual maturity, proud about our humility. And yet pride is not the example of our Messiah, Yeshua. And so this morning what I want us to do is I wanted us to first look at the example of our Messiah, Yeshua, from Philippians 2. And then I want us to consider some thoughts in regards to our own lives and how God wants us to live as his people. So turn with me in the text. We're going to look first at at, uh, Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. I will be reading from the Tree of Life version text, of which I am a board member. So that's why this is a promotional plug here. Okay. Although a very good community text. Okay. Therefore... If there is any encouragement in Messiah, if there is any comfort of love, if there is any fellowship of the Ruach, if there is any mercy and compassion, then make my joy complete by being of the same mind, having the same love, united in spirit with one purpose. Do nothing out of selfishness or conceit, but with humility consider others as more important than yourselves, looking out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others." Have this attitude in yourselves, which also was in Messiah Yeshua, who, though existing in the form of God, did not consider being equal to God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave, becoming the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Yeshua, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue profess that Yeshua the Messiah is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here we have a very complicated text in one sense. We have incredible theology in this text. The whole issue of Yeshua being God. You may say, wow, that is kind of hard to understand. Sometimes I don't get that. Welcome to humanity. To imagine that God himself chose that the only way he was going to save us was to take on our form. That's what the biblical text teaches. It's one of those things that may not be easy to understand, but it is absolutely in the text. And Yeshua's example is the example for us to emulate. In verses 1 through 4, Shaul 
alludes to the fact that there seems to be a lack of uni uh, unity, some issue in the congregation. Now, there's always some issues in congregations. You're like every other congregation in the world. Skokie, Dvaramet, we have our issues. There must be something going on in this community. He's trying to encourage them. Unity within a community is critically important. Unity within a community is critically important. Everyone's got to be on the same page in a couple of different ways. I want to point some of them out, but before I do, I also want to point out uniformity does not, unity does not mean uniformity. In my congregation on Shabbat, I make all the guys dress up. You may say, why do you do that? I work with a bunch of kids, <laughs> and I want the, these guys especially, I don't know what it is, guys just don't know anything about dressing up anymore. I got this one kid, Kyle Doberstein, and Kyle's become a believer. He's uh, about 18, 19 years of age, does not even own a pair of Dockers, this kid. Every week, and you know what, to me it's all part of discipleship, so I'm not trying to, you know, people look good in all kinds of clothes, but I'm trying to teach these guys. So uh, last week I was almost going to get him to go shopping with me. I was actually going to send him with my daughter-in-law, Shoshana, because she's a better shopper than I am. But it's not because there's something spiritually important about dressing up. Uh, there's a simply a desire to mature him. Part of the unity thing in our community is a passionate desire to grow men up. I have a high expectation for men. But I don't want everybody dressing like me. First of all, I'm a lousy dresser. This shirt and tie come from Rachel, okay, my daughter. The black suit I've had for years from my wife's grandmother. Unity is important. Uniformity isn't that important. But unity is important. Unity in what? Unity in purpose. Unity in purpose. He says here, if there's any comfort, any love, any fellowship, when, then make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Being of the same mind. One mind I hope you all have in this community is to be an active testimony to the Jewish people of Richmond that don't know Messiah Yeshua. That, that is something that makes you unique as a community. To actively be thinking about what you can do collectively together to impact the Jewish community for Yeshua. You know what always comes out of that, though? is a testimony to everybody. It's a testimony to everybody. But to really make a difference within the Jewish community in terms of testimony, you have to be united in purpose to reach those people. That's hard. But hopefully that is something you're all committed to, united in purpose. The other, being united in purpose to be an encouragement to one another, to really care about one another, that you don't just come in, take in terms of the service in the community, and then walk out the door. But you all are, are united in purpose to be encouraging to one another. Even the people you may not like so much. Within every congregation, there are people you really kesher with, people you really connect with, and people you don't necessarily connect so well with. But being committed to everyone, united in that purpose as a community. United in theology in full agreement, theologically speaking. God willing, in uh, late May or early June, I'm going to send one of our leading theologians to Germany. One of our leading UMJC theologians, Mark Kinzer is his name. Now, some people find Mark to be a little bit edgy in some ways, okay? 
But Mark Kinzer is one of the best teachers we have on the issue of the deity of Yeshua. And I've heard that some of the, the, some of the Messianic communities in, in Europe, some of their people are questioning the deity of Yeshua. You might say, how could that be? Well, because it is. I want to send Mark there to encourage them on this important teaching, that they might be united in theology, not just among themselves, but with all of us. You know, in your community here, you might be at at a certain stage in your relationship with God and your gaining of understanding, and there are some things that you might not fully understand. My answer to you really is learn in humility from your leadership. You have good, solid, stable leadership in this community. Learn from them so that there is unity in your theology. Don't be a lone wolf coming up with all kinds of information you get off the internet. The internet. Such a a large collection of nonsense often on on the internet. Learn from your leaders so that you are united in theology. Another point, uh, two other points very important in unity, preferring one another and deferring to one another. Preferring means genuine concern for others with actions that match our words. Concern for one another, praying for the sick. You know, I come in today, I go to shake David Wine's hand and of course he gives me an elbow because he's not feeling well. That's concern for others. All right? Being concerned when people are sick or people have need. You know, uh, we had a couple uh, just moved to the uh, Skokie area from Boston or from the, the Boston area. And we don't know them at all. We really don't. He came, one guy, he's a Jew from South Africa. Hard to imagine. Jew from South Africa. Nice guy. He's an entrepreneur. I like entrepreneurs. So, uh, but they're moving into town. And the very first thing that I, I, I mean, I'm gone, unfortunately, they just came in on Wednesday or Thursday, is I said to the people in my community, you need to go out and show concern for these people. They need us to demonstrate concern because he's coming into town with three children, all of them under five, and a pregnant wife. He probably has a few issues, doesn't he? Are we truly concerned for one another? It's a sign of our unity as a community. Finally, deferring to one another. Really deferring to one another. This has to do with genuine listening to one another. Genuinely listening to one another. Often we talk past each other. I've been married now for how many years, honey? Is it 26, 27? (laughs) You lose track after a while. And it's hard to listen after a while. You just, I know what she's going to say. Oh, I, I know what point she's, she's going to make. It's all from my perspective, of course. And reminding myself I need to listen, listen, and be patient and listen, make sure I fully understand. It's really important in a congregation. There are some congregations where people don't really listen to one another, and then they misunderstand one another, and then you got all kinds of narishkeit, craziness going on, because people are not listening. It's extremely important. If you want to be unified as a community, learn to listen to one another. What hurts congregational unity? Self-serving first. Self-serving first. You guys have a kid, a shenonig, right? When I was, uh, before I was a believer, someone invited me to a vacation Bible school. 
At the Vacation Bible School, there was a teaching on Yeshua's words, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. And none of us got it, except for the fact that when it was time to go get the snack, nobody wanted to be first in line. Are you someone, though, that always has to be first in line? Are you one who always thinks about yourself first? Do you bring food to the the Kiddush, or do you just eat food at the Kiddush? Self-service, self-serving destroys unity. Holding grudges and hurts, that hurts unity. Holding grudges is really a problem among believers. What is it? Caffeine is an acceptable drug in the believing community, you know. And and gossip, which is always veiled in terms of prayer requests, is an accepted sin within the Christian community. Grudges, it seems often, holding things. You know what? You think God has something on you? (laughs) Let's be honest. If someone wanted, the only person who has a right to hold a grudge is God. And what did he do? He sent Yeshua the Messiah to die for us. They, as they were killing him, Yeshua says, Father, forgive them. And you go, well, he's the son of God. He's Messiah. It's true. So as they were taking Stephen out to stone him, he said, Father, forgive them. Stephen was just like us. And he forgave. So you forgive. Grudges hurts. Holding them destroys unity. Stop it. Fear of living transparently before others destroys unity. Not being honest with one another. We need greater accountability in our congregations. Who are you accountable to? Who are you transparent before? God wants us to be transparent people within our communities so that people can really encourage us because they really know who we are. I just had to defrock a rabbi because we found out all kinds of terrible things about him. Known this guy most of my life. I don't know who he is. Because all the things I found out about him mean I do not know who he was, really. He lived two different lives. If I'm not mistaken, the Bible says, be one person. Be honest and open and transparent before God and man. Live lives of transparency. That's, the, that's what God wants us to do, to have unity. And then finally, independence and rebellion against spiritual authority. You know, <laughs> there's a, what is it, fit on the roof. Tovia says to God, God, wouldn't it be a good time? I know we're the chosen people, but wouldn't, wouldn't it be a good time to choose somebody else for a while, you know? The, barren, the burden of responsibility. Spiritual authority is responsibility. Yeshua the Messiah said, don't be like the nations lording over others. Their authorities lord over, but rulers rule. Spiritual authority rules. What does that mean? That means they assume responsibility. And they have to, as I say, direct traffic. They keep order. I often find within congregations, whether they are our Messianic Jewish ones or churches that I speak at, that leadership is disrespected and, and ignored or, or minimalized, minimalized in some way. And the congregations are disordered. Order comes when spiritual authority is respected. Unity requires submission to authority because the authority's responsibility is to answer to God and to maintain the order and the unity. If you're the sort of person... <laughs> Whether, whether here or on the job or in, in your life, you know, live so independently, you submit to no one. 
I encourage you to humble yourself like Yeshua the Messiah did who humbled himself to the Father. Again, go figure that one out. It's an example of humility to authority. So be humble before the authorities in this community that God might work in and through you to do tremendous great things. And possibly if you're a servant enough to raise you up to authority and responsibility over others. Well, I'm not going to go into the, the, the theology of, five, of what we see here in Yeshua's example. We talked about it enough. I want to just finish with uh, verses uh, in the literally three or four minutes I have left here. Beginning, take a look at, at verse 12. It says, Therefore, my loved ones, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For the one working in you is God, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you might be blameless and innocent children of God in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Among them you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of, God, of life so that I may boast in the day of Messiah that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and the service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all the same way you also rejoice and share your joy with me. Here we see in these final verses, uh, at least in this middle section, this humility challenge of Shaul. Shaul lived a life of humility. If you've read the, the New Testament, and hopefully you've read it at least once, you know that sometimes he speaks deferentially. And he's very humble. He submits himself consistently in all ways to the leadership in Jerusalem. Every once in a while, someone might say, oh, Paul fought against James or Peter. Narishkeit, foolishness, of course not. He was submitted to them, and we see that in Acts 15. Absolutely submitted to their authority. Yet there are times when he gives good challenges like what we see here. We see a couple of things that are very practical for us. First of all, true humility requires a passionate desire to diligently know and follow God. Your faith cannot be an autopilot. When we were on that boat, which again, I continue to still feel those waves, but when we were in the boat, I'm wondering, is the captain awake at 2 a.m.? Or is this boat on autopilot, you know? Well, maybe if he knows what he's doing with everything going on, they can stick it on autopilot. You know, they want to put automatic cars out there, right? No drivers, no steering wheel, automatic cars. Automatic pilot is really a reference to planes, right? Automatic pilot. Think about that. It's amazing. Do you know your spiritual life can never be on autopilot? You cannot take a passive approach to it. As soon as you decide to kick back your feet and take a spiritual nap, you're going to go off the derrick. You're going to go off the way. That's what's going to happen. You need to be actively focused diligently focused on growing in your relationship with God. Knowing God and living out his instruction requires active participation on your part. Second, Paul exhorts them, and this is in verse 14, to everything without grumbling or arguing. These are two unique words. I love to mention these two words because grumbling and arguing within community always leads to division. Just think back to the desert experience of the Israelis. All right, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. 
To murmur, according to the Greek, which is the original language here, to murmur means to complain in a low tone. It's a low sound continually repeated. You know, if you've ever been on a boat, in an engine in a boat, it's like that sound. It's annoying. So is murmuring. Murmuring is annoying. If you've got an issue, bring it up. Bring it to the surface. You know, I like to point out in my community, and I, I say it everywhere, so if you have an issue, come and talk to me. Come and talk to me. Murmuring doesn't do anything valuable within community. What it does is it leads to division, causes dissension. Complaints need to be brought up to the authority because sometimes complaints are valid. Otherwise, sometimes they're just misunderstandings that need to be dealt with. Or sometimes people just like to complain. They just like to complain. You know, they don't like the color. They don't like this, that, the other thing. Some people just like to complain. Those are the sort of people what I like to do is say, you know what, you got nothing to talk about here. Stop complaining. Complaining really can hurt a community. Disputing, to resist, oppose, to question the validity of, to rebel. You know, that happens again a lot within religious communities. I often think in a religious community where we are supposed to be humble before God, how hard it is for us to be truly humble before one another. You know, there's people I know who don't have long lists of educational accomplishments behind their names. They don't write books. But they walk with the Lord. They walk with the Lord. And they have gained my respect and my submission because they have walked with the Lord. I bow before them in humility. I submit to their authority. We need to be like that when it comes to community life. Looking for the individuals who have walked with the Lord successfully. You see it in their life, in their wife's life, or their spouse's wife, life, in their children. They've walked with the Lord to submit to those people, to learn from them. Finally, the whole thing ends up in uh, uh, the chapter, and it's really the keystone point, or I'm just going to end with it. He says, I'm going to die. I'm going to be pouring out my life. His passionate desire for these Philippians is that their lives would be poured out as well. And that their lives would be an example and a testimony of witness as bright lights in a dark world. Tonight I see you're going to have, there's a meeting on ISIS. I wish I could sit and tell you about all the stuff that I see just in my running around. Folks, we are living in an increasingly dark world. Is your light visible? Can people see your faith lived out? If not, take time. Read Philippians chapter 2. Actually, just start reading the scriptures more regularly probably. But read and contemplate and consider. God needs us to be bright lights in this dark world. The world needs to know where we're at. If they want to persecute us, they can easily find us. But if they're drawn to the truth, that the Ruach HaKodesh, the Spirit of God is moving in them, they can find us as well. The Lord our God needs our lives of humility. How bright is your light? How committed are you to living out a bright light of testimony in unity within this community for the sake of our Messiah, Yeshua? Let's close in a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for the truth of your scriptures and the challenge of it. 
God, I, I do pray that we would live lives of humility, that we would be the people of testimony you need us to be, not just for our Jewish community, God, that they might come to accept Yeshua, but for the greater body of Messiah, that we'd be an encouragement to them of your faithfulness, as well, God, of the greater world that so desperately needs to know the truth of the gospel. Help us, God, to be humble before you and others. Use us, God, to bring tremendous revival and renewal for the sake of our Messiah. We pray all this in Yeshua's name. Amen.